Sorry for the Debbie Downer at Memorial Day, but man, that like moved my heart. It really did. I, uh, I was standing at the front door that day, it seemed in my heart, when that knock came in the middle of the night before dawn at Carl Pickering's house. Of course, I wasn't really there, but I felt the emotion. And I realized the sacrifice of a life, 20 years old, ended so quickly for me, for me. And wow, that's pretty strong. And if I can remember, we got Katie wants to share just a little bit at the end of the service about kind of ties in with that. And so we'll give her just a moment in the service. But we're glad that you're here, and this is the last Sunday of Investing 101. We've covered several topics over the last six or seven weeks. And again, my thanks to uh, Tyler and Jenny last week. They did an incredible job of sharing. And I just so much appreciate that a whole lot. But I hope you've learned. I hope you've uh, picked up some stuff. Uh, Last Sunday night, we talked, by the way, about our, our time and resources and stuff. And it was a pretty heavy message. Sometimes Sunday nights can be some pretty powerful, you know, strong stuff. And uh, it was last week. But this is heavy stuff. Um, It really is. And so this morning, we want to talk about impacting our culture. And and we're going to talk about the fact that that we are salt and light in this earth. Now, as God sometimes does, the message kind of got twisted around. I told Judy when I was on the phone with her this morning, I said... (laughs) God kind of changed the message up. And so tonight, I really hope you'll come tonight. Can I just be flat honest? I hope you will. You know, great time of fellowship at 5. And by the way, you have to be there exactly at 5. We're going to eat like till 6. So if you can't be there at 5, that's cool. Um, we're having hamburgers and hot dogs. And Jeremy's making some baked beans and chips. And our great kitchen crew is going to serve all that up for us. And tea and Kool-Aid and those kind of things. Uh, all that's going to happen. Then at 6 o'clock, we're going to baptize three of our young adults. And we're very excited about that. Uh, then our, our youth are going to lead us in worship. And then, as it turns out, we're going to finish up. It's really not a finish up. It's a second part of this message. Salt and light. So tonight, we're going to be talking about light. And then, like I say, as Brother Brent said, we're not done then. We're going to come back down and have Super Sundays. We've got vanilla and chocolate ice cream and all the toppings and Twixly things and nuts and whipped cream that goes on all of that. It's going to be a great evening. So, so I hope you'll come back and just have a good time with the family of God. We would just love to have you. So this week, some of you know, um, I, I, every year I go to a pastor's conference, and it's up at Moody uh, Bible Institute in Chicago. I've gone for the last probably six or seven years. I've made the journey up there, and um, it's always good teaching, good preaching, good worship, just a good time to be there. Great food, by the way. Uh, awesome food. Like We're talking about prime rib and steak and barbecue. Hello. A lot of happy preachers there. So anyway, so all of that you know, was, was going on. And so in, in between the major messages, um, we have three a day, um, in between the major messages of those, there's workshops available. And so um, I was looking at the list, you know, last day, what am I going to do here? And so I saw something that caught my eye. And then keep in mind... Um, Again, I am a senior adult, um, 64 years old, and um, so I'm a little bit of a different generation than the younger generation today. And the topic of this workshop was communicating, impacting millennials. I said, now that really sounds like that would be a very practical, interesting thing to do. And so, especially for a guy of a different generation. And by the way, I wasn't the only one because the room was filled with people the same color hair as me. Or no hair. 
one of the two, you know, uh, not all of them, but a lot of them were, were older pastors who said, well, how can we communicate impact with millennials? And millennials, that generation, I'm not sure where. I know it ends about 2005 and goes back from there, probably 1985 or one or somewhere in there. There's a chunk there. And so I walk into the room and had a duh moment. Somehow, somehow, I imagined in my brain that there'd be this old guy up there kind of leading the seminar, and he would ask, this old guy would ask these younger people questions or give us the chance to ask questions. Well, I walk in, and the person facilitating the conference, the seminar, was like 23, you know? And, you know, had a, you know, had a little, little millennial outfit on and stuff, whatever that means, you know. And so I look over there, and there are four people sitting there. And I'm realizing, fresh and anew, that I could probably not only be their father, I could be their grandfather. So I even text you, and I said, this thing's being led by young people. Well, duh, it's about millennials. You know, I have a duh moment. And so anyway, so, so the bottom line is, she said, well, we're going to give you the chance to ask questions. And I've already been online and got some questions off of there. And they just started sharing. Well, the big takeaway, one of the big takeaways for me was, is when one of the young men there, and he was probably 24 years old, 23 years old, said these words. He said, um, we are the first generation born, now get here, we, one of the new sayings, I'm picking up on it. We're the first generation born, wait on it. That's the new saying. I, I picked it up. Cool preachers say that. I, I heard it, yeah, I heard it Midi. Wait on it, okay? So we're the first generation to be born, wait on it, in post-Christian America. In post-Christian America. And like that kind of like, a light went on in my head. And it really brought home. I know, you know, I've said these things several times. And we really, again, my generation particularly, and those a little bit younger and a little bit older than me, we wrestle with the idea, the concept, that America is post-Christian. And you say, what is post-Christian? Well, it's, it's when, whenever, and I'm not sure, I think it was a process. It wasn't like a day. Like, America didn't wake up and go, hi, we're post-Christian, okay? But post-Christian is basically where the culture and the social mores, and that's kind of the moral law of a country or a society, shifts a certain direction. In this case, it went from what we would call a Christian society to post-Christian or something after Christian. And that helps you understand so many of the things that we're seeing today that we kind of scratch our heads at and go, uh, you know, abortion and homosexuality and same-sex marriage. And, and, you know, God, like God offends people. You know, we don't embrace God. God offends people. Um, If you're Christian, David, you you said it pretty well. You know, we have the freedom to worship, at least now. And in this post-Christian culture, things are radically changing. And so that's where he was saying that we were the first generation born into that kind of culture. And that really changes everything. So, so the bottom line is, one, we need to own it, okay, that America today is not the America of the 50s. The culture today is not the culture of the 50s, okay? Now, people with my hair, color hair, we need to embrace that. It doesn't mean we love America any less. It doesn't mean that America is still not, I think, one of the greatest nations on the face of the earth. I'm so grateful for my freedom. But we need to own it. We live in a post-Christian America. Now, why that's so important is, what are we going to do about that? 
What are we now? Whether you're a millennial or Generation X or Generation Z, or whether you're eight years old or twenty years old or forty years old or sixty years old or eighty years old, it doesn't matter. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, generationally, it does not matter. What are we going to do with that? And that is why salt and light is so important. Salt and light is so important. Now, the 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 idea of salt and light comes from. 2,000 years ago, early on in Jesus' ministry, when he preached on the, um, the Mount of Beatitudes, he, he preached this message, and, and hands down, I think everybody would agree, it was the greatest message he ever preached. I mean, it's just a great message. It really is. It's one he's probably most famous for of all his teachings is this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. It's just huge. Okay, And in the process of that, after he does the blessed are you thing, okay, he gets down to verse number 13, and here's what he says. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And for the sake of tonight, I'll read the second part. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, again, let me just set it up for you. You know, the hillside is just filled with people, okay? Now, these are people, you know, authentically, Probably these were either, they're just, just starting to be Jesus followers. Not everybody there was a believer in Jesus. Certainly not. Not at this stage of the game, for sure. However, he's saying to them, speaking into them, more like, you can be salt of the earth. Okay? You are the ones who are going to be the salt of the earth. You are the ones who are going to be the light. They were uneducated. They were just normal people every day. None of them have even thought about seminary or any of that stuff. You know, all that. The Bible, the New Testament hasn't been written yet. I mean, he's just saying to them, hey, you are the salt of of the earth. Well, here's the deal. When I came here in 2000, um, one of my friends, Nanette Franks, your friend, Nanette Franks, um, had a tag on her car. Now, she's changed cars several times over the last 18 years. However, the tag has remained the same. And if you want to throw up that picture, Katie, uh, right there, there it is. I asked her permission to put her tag up there. All right. I would not put her phone number or social security number, but we will put her tag up, all right? And so, so here's her tag, N-A light. Well, you know, um, I didn't do very well. Uh, in fact, let's just kind of just be real candid. Um, I didn't take chemistry anytime. So N-A light. So I do a lot with tags. I look at tags, you know, and say, what does that mean? What does this mean? Sometimes I can't figure it out. Sometimes I can't. But I looked at this tag for like probably eight months, maybe more than that. N-A light. So I thought, well, maybe it's Nanette, Annette, light. You know, Nanette, Annette. Maybe Annette's her middle name and be kind of what I mean. Nanette, Annette, light. I said, maybe that's what that is. And that's really the only one I could. I figured it had to do with her name, okay? And light being like her testimony. I don't know, you know? So finally one day I got my courage up. And I said, hey, Nan. I said, what's up with this tag? <laughs> you know, what's that mean? You know, I thought, sure, she said, well, it's my name, or, you no, know, she said, well, Dwayne, uh, N-A is the, the, elemental, the elemental symbol for salt. So it's salt and light. And I went, duh. 
<laughs> you know, for us who didn't take chemistry, okay, but you know, okay. But anyway, it's like a light went on. I said, well, how cool is that? How cool is that? So I asked her today, I said, that's a great example of a way of a witness to be salt and light in this world through your car tag. So I, I did a little research and this morning, and I think it's very, it's cool. And I want to give you a chemistry lesson because I don't know anything about chemistry. Okay? However, um, it's kind of cool. Okay? It, the actual symbol for salt is N-A-C-L. N-A-C-L. Um, N-A is for sodium. And Cl is for chloride. So you put that together, you put sodium chloride together, and you get salt. You get salt, all right? And I thought it was so cool because these, you know, salt, each one of these individually and together are essential for life. I mean, it's very, very important that we have these elements um, in, our, in our bodies, you know, for the chemistry makeup of our body. They're very important. Um, the, the, the sodium part is, is balances out the fluid level in, in, our, in our bodies. Now, how many of y'all have ever eaten a bunch of pizza, okay, and the next day your fingers are sausages? Like, you know, your wedding band that was like, you know, you could take it off. You know, all of a sudden you can't take it off. In fact, really what's cool is you go to the mall... And you eat pizza, and then you walk around the mall. And finally, you kind of look down and you go, man, my fingers are stiff. Well, sodium has a tendency to retain fluid in our body. Now, when it's in balance, it works great. But when it's out of balance, it gets bad. In fact, what happens when you get too much sodium, it puts fluid in your blood, and you have hypertension, high blood pressure. So sodium's a good thing. But it also can get out of balance. And chloride does several things. It helps us transmit nerve sendings around our body. Um, It balances the chemical thing, the pH of our body. And it has to do with the fluids. So each one are essential and important. And comes together, they are salt. And so Jesus says, just like that is important, important to you chemically, it's very important to the kingdom that you be salt and you be light. Now, if you'll notice, again, salt is made up of two chemicals, sodium and chloride, okay, NaCl. And just like that, you know, salt has many, many purposes in the old world. Now, today we don't think a lot about it, okay? We, we, don't, we don't like wake up and study salt. We just don't do that. Okay. However, back in the day of, of Jesus' day, salt was like really important. Did you know wars were fought over salt? Yeah. Yeah, it really was. Economies were built on salt. Economies were. Now, how many of you ever heard the saying, uh, he's not worth his salt? Anybody? A few hands going up. Yeah. Well, salt was so important that Roman soldiers were often paid in salt. And if a soldier didn't do his job, he wasn't worth his salt. Okay? And, and have you ever heard the saying, you know, he's salt of the earth? You know, again, that describes a, a basic person necessary in culture. Okay? And that's where Jesus kind of throws out. Ye are the salt of the earth. That's what he had in mind when he said that. So, today, let's look and see how salt and light can help us impact our culture. Okay. Now, to do that, what I'd like to do is jump back 400 years before Jesus. Okay, so we're going to jump back 
2,000 years ago, and he said, you are the salt of the earth. You're not maybe going to be the salt. One day you're going to be the salt. He says, you are the salt of the earth. So we're going to back up from 2,000 years, okay? And we're going to jump back another 400 years, and we're going to go back and look at a prophet named Jonah. Named Jonah. It's a great example of the power of salt in a society. What salt can do. Not salt the element, but salt of Jesus can do in a culture. All right? So we look here and we want to see, first off, that salt, one of the two things salt does, it stops corruption and enhances flavor. Those are our two elements we're going to look at today. Unless I get really windy, okay? So it stops corruption. And it also enhances flavor. Now, how many of you have ever been to Cracker Barrel and you ordered the smoke, uh, either smokehouse breakfast or you can order the um, sampler? The sampler is the best. That means you get a little bit of everything. Okay? So, if you get the sampler, not like I've, I've never done this because I'm healthy. Okay? And I also have this lying problem. We can meet with the deacons after church. Okay? So, anyway. So, so anyway. So, I go to Cracker Barrel and I get this sampler thing. I always, you can ask the boys I eat with. I always change things up. But one of the questions she asked me, she wants my opinion. She goes, now, now, how do you want your bacon? Soft. Okay, okay, all right. So, um, how do you, you know, what ham do you want? Do you want country or sugar? Now, the difference is both are cured hams. One is cured with sugar and one is cured with ham. Soft, thank you. Y'all are listening, that's good. Okay, so anyway, so the bottom line is I like country ham. Okay, so if you ever had a good country ham, it's like salty. It's like salty. It's a very strong flavored meat, all right? And what it is, they put that salt on there, on that ham, and it draws the moisture out of the meat, and that's how it's cured. Because back in those days, there was no refrigerator. There's nothing like that, okay? So how can then salt, spiritual salt, how can it stop corruption or decay in a society? Well, let's look and see. Okay, we're going to go all the way back to Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Now, here's the story of Jonah in a nutshell. There once was a guy named Jonah, and he was a prophet. And God said to the prophet, I want you to go to Nineveh. I know they're your enemies. I know you don't like them. You hate them, in fact. I want you to go to Nineveh, and I want you to go, and I want you to tell them that judgment's coming. Jonah said, don't think so, don't like them, don't want to know them. And so he gets on a boat and goes to Tarshish. Well, God didn't like that particularly. And so God has a storm brew up, okay? I mean, a bad storm. And the sailors were afraid and Jonah was asleep. And they wake Jonah up and said, why are you doing asleep? Don't you know we're fixing to die? And Jonah says, look, it's all because of me. Throw me in the water. So they take Jonah and they throw him overboard into the water. And God prepares a great fish. And the great fish comes along and eats Jonah, where Jonah spends the next three days of his life. Now, Finally, the, the whale, the great fish, got tired of Jonah. You kind of get tired of preachers sometimes. Okay? So, so finally, the, the great fish throws up bleh, and ends up with Jonah on the beach. Okay? Jonah's all like, eat up with it and stuff, you know? And so God speaks to him and says, you know, you know I want you to go to Nineveh. And this time, Jonah goes, you know what? I think it's a good idea. Okay? I think it's a good idea. So, Jonah... Gets ready to go to Nineveh. And that's where we're going to pick our story up, okay? So the word of the Lord came... Now, now don't miss this first part. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. A second time. Now, I already told you. Let's see if you listened, okay? So, why was there a second time? Because he didn't listen the first time, okay? Now, how many of you 
have ever gone to a restaurant, particularly one that's outside, and you grab the salt shaker and you shake and nothing comes out. You know what we call that? We call that humidity. Okay? The salt absorbs the moisture. That's what salt does. Okay? And you're sitting there and you're shaking like crazy. Okay? Trying to get the salt to come out. Okay? And by the way, have y'all ever heard the term southern wrap? Y'all have heard the term wrap. Well, there's a southern wrap. Yeah, yeah. Go to any restaurant in the south and you'll hear people knocking their shakers on the table. Come on, baby, what you gonna do? I'm coming out, what, what you gonna do? Yeah, it's called Southern Wrap. Okay? So, so anyway, so anyway, anyway, anyway. So they take the salt and they try to get it out of the shaker because salt sometimes is reluctant to come out of the shaker. Guess what? Jonah was reluctant salt. The reason there was a second time, because the first time he was reluctant to get out of the shaker. Sometimes we're reluctant to get out of the shaker. We don't mind coming to church. We don't mind being salt here. It's just that sometimes we have a problem being salt out there. Can I have a witness? Can I witness? So sometimes that happens. Sometimes that happens. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, and here's what he said. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message that I tell you. Now there's a whole lot here I want to touch on. We'll whack this off when we need to today. It's no deal. Okay? So I want you to get up and go to that great city of Nineveh. Now, I mentioned very briefly my little, my little overlook of the story of Jonah. Nineveh was the enemy. They were prejudiced. They killed people. They killed folks. They were just an evil, carnal society. And they hated Jews. Okay? So the bottom line is that Jonah did not, did not want to go to Nineveh. You know, send me anywhere but Nineveh. Okay? But Nineveh was the place where he needed to be sought. Now, did you get where I'm going with that? Where's your Nineveh? Where do you need to be salt? It may not be a place you hate. In fact, it may be a place you love. Now, young parents, I want you to listen to me real quickly and real clearly. The biggest Nineveh in your life, again, not a place you necessarily hate, a place might be a place you love. Your biggest Nineveh is your family. If there's a daddy, daddy, if there's a place where you need to be salt, it's your family. I'm not moving on until someone says amen. Men, it's time we stand up and be salt to our family. Hey, mamas, if there's a place where you need to be salt in your, in your world, it's your family. It's your family. And again, Nineveh may be your place of work. It may be your community. It may be your neighborhood. It may be the social club you belong to. I guess it could even be Facebook. But wherever it is, God has put you in this world. That's your Nineveh, and he wants you to go and be salt there. And then to be salt, you've got to have the right message. Preach the message that I tell you. This is so essential to get this right. You know, there's a lot of talk about how for the last 30 or 40 years, we didn't do it exactly right. And I guess that's true. We may have had a generation of people who didn't really understand what it means to be a Christian. I don't know. That may well be true. But one thing I know is for certain, we've got to make sure we get the message right. It's more than just, uh, you need to go to church. Well, yeah, you ought to go to church, but, but that's not the message. You need to start this and stop that. Well, that's true probably, but that's not the message. 
The message, now listen clearly, Dad, Mom, in your family, the message that you are as salt is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where you work is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The club you belong to, yeah, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, students, the school you go to, the school, some of you guys just graduated from college. Hey, guess what? You're going to a new place where God has called you to be salt and light. He's called you to preach the right message, and the message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So figure we might not get it exactly right. What does it mean, the gospel? That is, that is by far the new tag word that you hear in every song, it seems, in every sermon. The gospel, the gospel, grace and gospel. Well, what is the gospel? Well, Paul tells us, and I'm going to take the time to share with you. Because I don't think you, I don't think you can outgrow this. I think we need to hear it over and over and over again. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in the first part of verse 1, I'll snag that first. Paul said these words. 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I want to make clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you. So Paul says to, by the way, a very carnal church. I mean, the Corinthian church was the queen of carnal churches. Okay? And he says, he says, now I want to make clear to you the gospel that I preach to you. I'll make clear, sure you understand that gospel. Now, the word gospel, of course, means good news. Good news. But here's something I don't think we often understand is that not only does the gospel apply to a day in your past, it applies to today in your present and to your future. See, the bottom line is there was a day in my life and in your life too if you're a Christ follower, there was a day when you believed what happened here. You believed that the man on the cross died for your sin. And you ask God to forgive your sin, you turn from your sin, that's called repentance, you turn from your sin, and then you chose to follow Him the rest of your life. And on that day, you experienced the gospel. On that day, you were saved. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. That gospel now moves into every day of your life. You were saved, and you're being saved. It's called sanctification. It's called the process of becoming more and more and more like Jesus. You, you didn't need just the gospel in a date in history. You need the gospel every single day in your life. You need a Savior in a date in history, and you need a Savior every single day of your life. You don't stop that. You don't stop that. Get that in your mind and get that in your heart. It's an ongoing process. You need a Savior, and you need a Savior every single day. But we're not done yet because there's a thing called glorification, and that's a place called heaven where we die. And so we, we were saved, we're being saved, and we're going to be saved. And that's called heaven. That's called where we're finally delivered from this world of sin and death forever. And we go and live with Jesus in a place called heaven. I have the power of the gospel. This is the gospel. What does that look like, Dwayne? Well, Paul tells us starting in verse number 3. He says, now, now listen carefully. For I passed on to you, I passed on to you as most important. How? As most important. So... The gospel is not a sideline. Listen, there is nothing the church is going to do that's more important than the gospel. I don't care what pro- I don't care if it's the youth program, the music program, the kitchen, the fellowship, whatever it is, the gym, whatever it is, nothing supplants the gospel of Jesus Christ. As most important, he says, I pass this on to you. So we must be a gospel-centered church. I passed on to you as most important what I received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins. 
Mark that down. That's the heart of the gospel. God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You're not going to heaven because you're a Baptist. You're not going to heaven because you go to church. You're not going to heaven because you give money. You are going to heaven if you're going to heaven. If you're going to heaven, you're going to heaven based on the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ and your faith in that. Your faith in that. So I pass this on to you, that Jesus Christ died according to, uh, for our sins according to the Scripture and that he was buried. you know why Jesus was buried? You've got to prove he's dead. Because see, if he was in a coma or something, there's no resurrection. He may revive, but there's no resurrection. So it's important that he, he, they prepared him for death. They did the spice thing and all that because they wanted to prove, God wanted to prove he is dead. When he said it is finished and he yielded up his spirit, he died. He was stone cold dead. And then Paul says, it doesn't end there, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. We know why he died, so we could know the fact that he was dead, and that's why they buried him. But why did he resurrect? To prove he was the Son of God. If Jesus didn't resurrect, he was a martyr on a cross. If Jesus didn't resurrect, there's no real proof of what he said he is and who, and who he said he is. And so guess what? He resurrects on the third day. He resurrects. He comes back to life. I love that line of song that David had to sing today. His dead body breathed. I mean, for the first time when I heard that song the other night, I, I saw the body of Jesus laying there still and cold. Still and cold. And all of a sudden, his dead body breathed. Come on. It came back to life. He was dead. And he came back to life, proving he was the Son of God. Proving he was the son of God. And then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Proving and, and getting the word out that he lives. He lives. He lives. And that's the message. That's the message. It's not about Baptists. It's not about Methodists. It's not about what religion. It is a relationship with the risen living son of God. So, so Jonah goes down, he gets a second call, and says, I want you to go down and preach the message that I give you. Well, listen, the message that Jesus has given the church is the gospel. Write that down. The message that Jesus has given the church is the gospel. It's not a self-help program. It's not 12 steps. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse Jonah, now we're back in Jonah 3.3. 3. So Jonah got up. He got out of the shaker. He got out of the shaker and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now, Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. In other words, either it took three days to walk across or three days to walk uh, around or across. One of the two. One of the two. Big city. Dad, if you are freaking out about being salt to your family and the thought of sharing the gospel with your son or your daughter freaks you out, don't be freaking out. Don't be... Because he is faithful. Jonah, we're going to get here in just a moment. The success, if you will, in quotes, that Jonah saw in Nineveh was not because of Jonah. It's because of God. Dad, be salt. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. Leave the results to God. Be salt. Share the gospel. Leave the results to God. Okay, no matter how big the city seems, just trust God with it. Verse 4. So Jonah set out. On the first day of his walk in the city, and proclaimed, In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. Now, this is so cool. So, his message is pretty simple. 
And by the way, time out. When you share the gospel with someone, probably saying they're going to hell is not the first step. Hi, I'm Dwayne, and you're going to hell. Okay, probably not for... It worked here in this situation, okay? It worked for him because that was the way God told him to get the message, but probably it's not the way we're to present the gospel. In fact, if we get time, I'll show you that's not, okay? So Jonah set out the first day of the week in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. And watch what happens. Then, then, the people of Nineveh believe God. Now again, proving this, it's not the messenger, it's the message. It's God, not us. Dad, it's not you, it's the power of the gospel. Mom, it's not you, it's the power of the gospel. Grandma, grandpa, it's the power of the gospel. They heard the message and they believed God. Okay, the people believe God. I promise you this, no one was more surprised than Jonah. No one was more surprised. I mean, he couldn't believe it. Read the book. Y'all read your Bible, some crazy things in it. Read the book, all right? So, so he, he, they believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth, a sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. So what is the hope for our culture? The hope of the culture, listen, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The hope for our culture is the message that changes the hearts of men, women, and children. And that is the gospel. The gospel. There's hope for, listen, there's hope for America. There's hope for America. But it will not be found in the halls of Congress. It will not be found in a White House. It will be found in the house of God. When God's people lead the shaker with the gospel, the message that changes the hearts of men and women. That's when America will change. That's when America will change. This is huge. This is huge. This is huge. So, with that said, after we talked about that's how we that's how we stop decay, that's how salt stops corruption. Okay? Now, now, how does it enhance? How does it enhance our culture? How does, the, how does it impact through enhancement our culture? Well, for that, I've chosen Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. So we're going to leave Jonah and jump forward down to the New Testament to the book of Colossians chapter 4 and verse 5 and 6. Now, now again, Paul writes this book, okay, to the church at Colossae, all right? And, and here's, the, here's the hope for the culture. It starts with our speech, our speech. Look what he says. Now, it starts out great. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of time. Act wisely, okay, to outsiders, to those outside the faith, and making the most of time. In other words, in other words, when we're around lost, pe- lost people, we need to act wisely. They're watching. By the way, mom and dad, do you know your kids are watching you? Do you know that your kids are watching you? The, the programs you watch... The habits you have, the language you use, uh-huh, they're watching. So it's very important that we be salt and be careful that we remain salt. So we act wisely to those outside, and, and we are to make the most. Seize every opportunity that there is. Every opportunity that there is. Let your speech, verse 6, 
And this is where I said, there's probably a better way to win someone to Christ than saying you're going to hell. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Now, I looked up just to make sure because y'all know I don't know a lot of Greek. Um, but that word gracious is exactly what I thought meant. Let your, let your speech be kind. K-I-N-D. Let, let your mouth be kind. This is something I, you know, they say the older you get, you speak your mind more. I'm finding myself that's t- unfortunately too true. So if you've got the hair, color hair I got, be careful, guys, because we have a tendency, our filters come off, and we say things we shouldn't say. We're harsh when we shouldn't be harsh. Okay? So, so he says, let your speech be always gracious and seasoned with salt. Okay? Now, I'm going to take a minute to tell a story. Okay? And we'll quit here in just a minute. Okay? Um, we showed the movie... Um, the Resurrection of Gavin Stone on a Sunday night here. And if you didn't make it that night, I think one is showing on HBO right now, okay, on Family Channel. Um, two, you can rent it from the Family Video Store, okay, those two places. And I bet it's Hulu and some places like that too. Well, I watched it that night, but my hearing's not very good, and so I don't get all that it says. And so I watched it again about two months ago. And I was just amazed how good the movie was. Well, with Judy being gone, I was kind of like, what do I do? So I went through, and there was the resurrection of Gavin Stone. And so I watched it again. And I'm slowly falling in love with this movie. Because it's just a simple presentation of the power of the gospel. If you remember Mom's Night Out, it was funny like that. But the guy gets a genuine salvation experience at the end. It's not too hokey. Okay, so it's very believable, and so I really enjoyed it. But anyway, so this Gavin Stone is an actor who's been ordered to do public service because he had a, a drunken event, and so he goes home to his church, and they're having a passion play, and he ends up playing Jesus. Okay, and so in that process, he becomes and discovers who Jesus Christ is, okay, and believes in him. But you remember the story in the Bible about the adulterous woman? Okay, and so they walk in, they throw her down, and in the, in the play, he's, his part is written kind of like, Woman, where are thou accusers? And it was like, well, when it came time for the show, for the production, God is like working in his heart big time. And so he gets up and he says that line, and he looks down and sees this woman on her knees, and it's very realistic. And he says the line, Woman, where are thy accusers? And then he pauses. It's almost like he gets it. And he kneels down beside her. And he says, Woman, woman, where are your accusers? And she says, There are none, Lord. And so tenderly, he says, Go and sin no more. And when that happened on that screen, I thought of this. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, grace and truth, kindness and truth. It doesn't mean you take it and make it a kind of truth. It's kindness and truth. If we're going to impact the culture We've got to love them. 
You remember the old, you know, Jesus said love. God loved people. We can't come across as judgmental and harsh. We need to be like our Savior. When he knelt before this woman taken in adultery, neither do I condemn thee. Now go and sin no more. So let your speech be seasoned with salt so that you may be, or you may know how you should answer each person. That's it. We impact culture as salt by stopping corruption with the power of the gospel. And we reach people with kindness, grace, and truth. Whether it's your family, the guys at work, on the golf course, wherever it might be, we're salt. We stop corruption, corruption with the power of the gospel and we reach out with kind speech and truth and grace. So my invitation today, the bottom line is, you know, if you're here today and you may have one of these around your neck today, you may have one of these hanging in your, in your office, but you've never experienced the power of the man on the cross. My invitation to you today is come become salt. The invitation is to be, come be salt. You know, you can't be salt unless you are salt. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And man, Jesus invites you to come and be a part of God's family. The wages of sin is death, so he paid the price for your sin. And the gift, the gift, not something we earn or pay for, the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So my friend Brent's going to be standing down front, and we just want to invite you to come. He said, I want to know more about this Jesus. I want to know more about what Dwayne talked about today. And we would love to share with you about that. And you know what? If this isn't your thing coming to this morning here, I'll be hanging around. Um, I'll be glad to talk with you, share with you. Anything I can, because we want you to know Jesus. Because it's the greatest thing in the whole world. The greatest thing in the whole world. So if that's the call for you today, that's it. Come and become salt. And, but the bottom line is, a lot of us have done that, haven't we? So we need to be salt. We're already salt. We just got to be salt. We got to allow ourselves to get out of the shaker. And I mean, mom and dad, I can't, God's laid this on my heart. Mom and dad, you got to be salt to your family first. You got to be. Your kids are watching. They're watching. And they've got to see Jesus in you. So be salt to your family. And then beyond that, be salt where you work. Be salt where you play. Be salt where you live. And be salt where you go to church. Be salt. Because Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Let's bow our heads. What a privilege to share today. I mean, can you believe that Jesus, God, entrusted us with this? Not the angels. He entrusted the gospel to us. Hey, Daddy, he entrusted the souls of your children to you. Hey, Mom, he entrusted the souls of your children to you. Your coworkers, your teammates, your neighbors, and yeah, perhaps even some people sitting in this room. You are the salt. 
If you want to know more about Jesus, we want to tell you about him today. Brent will be standing right down front here. We invite you to come when we sing. If you feel like today, okay, God, I heard you. I need to be better salt. I need to get out of this shaker. And for my family's sake and my co-workers and my neighbors, the people who know me, I need to be salt. I need you to help me. I need you to help me. And he will. So God, thank you for the privilege of sharing today. Pray, Father, right now that the power of your word, you said your word will not come back void. If there's someone you're calling to the family this morning, uh, to your family, I want to pray, Father, right now that they'd be willing to come and ask that all-important question, how can I know Jesus? Father, for all of us in this room who have trusted Christ, Father, help us not to be reluctant salt. Help us get out of the shaker and share the good news. May we... May we stop, help stop the corruption through the power of the gospel in our culture. And may we, through kindness and truth and love, reach out to others. Thanks, Jesus. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet, please? As